You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. On this weekend show, if you're planning an escape to a sunnier and warmer climate, stick around for advice about why you need to invest in travel insurance. Also ahead, Blue Jays spring training is just around the corner. Our Jim Lang has a preview coming up. But we begin with a celebration of Black History Month. Afwaba starts us off. February continues to be Black History Month, and there continues to be a number of events happening across York Region. And we have one ongoing event that we are now about to tell you about. Joining me to chat today is Jerisha Grant-Hall. She's the chairperson for the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association. Jerisha, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I cannot complain. It's not snowing, <laughs> so I'm fine. <laughs> That's I'm great. great. So let's um, let the listeners know. Talk to us about the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association. What do you do? Well, we're uh, brand new. We're emerging um, in the New Market area. We we just launched last Saturday to the community at our Black History Celebration event. Um, basically, we're here to support to build a strong and connected community. Um, and to uh, promote intercultural understanding and exchange, and to of course uh, cater to the uh, the families and youth in New Market from that demographic. A variety of programming are coming. Programming will be coming up for for that group and for everyone in general. Then first off, let me say congratulations um, from, you know, your uh, inauguration last week. And um, I know there's probably much more to come. How did the idea of the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association come about? Well, um, as you know, it's uh, black history is Canadian history. <laughs> but what propelled this uh, organization was um, basically uh, just a group of, of people coming together in the community um, on May 5th, 2018, uh, we basically came together to discuss how we, how we can build a more diverse and connected new market community. So that was the whole point of it. And one pivotal point in the discussion was around a concern for youth and how the organization can support generational legacy of education and empowerment and unity, something that's going to foster pride in identity and culture and history for the people of African descent. Um, but we also understood that there was was a need for rooted, rootedness and belonging, and and so basically we wanted um, families and youth to have a, a firm under, understanding of the past, so that we can all step boldly into the future. And we understood that that growth and sustainability meant that that you know, and building strength meant that we had to have partnerships and and uh, intercultural understanding. So that's pretty much the basis for it. Perfect. Okay, so when you began um, from last week, I, I'm hearing that the the theme for the event or for the inaugural event and the theme continuing for the month for the association is still I Rise. If you can explain um, why that theme. Um, yes, 
Before I Rise is uh, the entire, it's a theme that we're using for the entire month of uh, Black History Celebrations here in Newmarket. Um, and it means oftentimes when we, when we look at black history or celebrate black history, we often look at it through a colonial lens. And, and so the, the purpose of this particular team was to highlight the subjectivity and agency of, of, uh, of African Canadians and show triumph and strength and resiliency. Um, so it's, it's taking a post-colonial lens and it's looking at the African and saying, from the perspective of their own agency, their own subjectivity, to talk about their, their strength, their courage, how they triumph over all the adversities of post, uh, of even racialization, and how they triumph over obstacles and lack of opportunities and barriers and discrimination and all of that to sort of forge their own identity, um, becoming entrepreneurs, change makers, innovators. And so it was a celebration with an eye on history, but also focusing on those uh, achievements and those triumphs, those, those stories of, uh, of triumph, I would say. So giving agency back to the African that was taken away. Beautiful theme and lovely explained. Thank you very much. And so um, with the exhibition that's taking place in Newmarket, still under that same theme, uh, what can residents expect when they go to see that art exhibit? Um, so the artist, um, the art exhibit is focusing on representation. Um, the themes for the the themes that we're looking at for the exhibit are around race, identity, um, celebration of choice. Um, so residents can expect to see portraiture. So. It's a reflection of, um, again, the subjectivity of the African in the form of portraits. So the two artists, uh, Garden and um, um, Mark, um, Cyrus, um, they're the two main artists, uh, as well as local artists, uh, that are being exhibited. And we want residents to basically see a redignifying of the past. So um, alongside the exhibit, you'll find a juxtaposition juxtaposition of objects. Um, that's the personal collection of uh, one of the artist's garden. And these objects are basically stereotype or stereotypical or racialized images of African Canadians in North America in the past. And so we, we, we intentionally place these ob uh, objects in juxtaposition or in contrast to to these African Canadian artists' work to show that that our own self-representation, these multiple experiences and, and, and agencies that we have, that we're creating ourselves, that are of course devaluing what was once represented as a true image of who we are. So um, hopefully, residents will be able to see, will be able to look at these objects as well and question. Purpose is to question, to interrupt, and question and scrutinize them, and and basically devalue them, um, and come to a, a different understanding about art. I know that Garden Garden had mentioned his use of of black, uh, for example, painting on a black surface. That this was thought to be, you know, that this wouldn't work, and so he deliberately created his portraits on a black background. 
and prove that, yes, it is possible to show blackness in a positive light. And so I hope residents will be able to see, see the, the nuances of, of identity and self-representation in these portraits. All right. Very intriguing. Okay. So I know that there's still some time left to see this exhibit. Um, if you mm-hmm. could let us know uh, how long it will still be in new market for and where residents can go and see the art exhibit. It's, uh, it will be on, um, the exhibit is on until the 23rd of February. It's at four, 460 Botsford Street in Newmarket. Uh, it's the old town hall. Perfect. Okay. And so if anyone wants uh, more information, of course, about um, the association, um, and then maybe wants to volunteer, or, or maybe it's just curious, where can they go for more information? How can they contact you? We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, Twitter as well, NACA New Market. Um, we also have a website. It's N-A-C-C-A uh, Community, so NACA Community www.nacacommunity.ca. NACACommunity.ca residents, I hope you get some time to head on to the website, of course, to um, see the art exhibit as well, which will only be up until February 23rd at the New Market Old Town Hall. Jerisha, thank you so much for um, educating me and letting me know about what's happening uh, in the town of New Market um, and uh, just celebrating black history and black culture across Canada. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Our next stop on the feed takes us to the Richmond Hill Historical Society. Joining us on the show is the Society's President, Andrea Kulish. Andrea, thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about the Richmond Hill Historical Society? How did it come to exist? The, uh, the Society um, decided to undertake preserving some buildings on Carville Road. And that's where the initial beginning um, started, and we are now um, celebrating our 45th anniversary this year. We involve ourselves in the heritage and history of the town, um, and we also partner with an awful lot of the cultural organizations, helping out with any um, buildings at risk, um, any of the um, heritage and historical questions, And so we help out at a lot of the provincial and local initiatives if anybody has any questions to do with history. Can you share with our listeners possibly some events or programs that you have coming up? On Monday, we have a fellow coming to speak to us. Um, His program is all about surnames. His name is Tim Now, and he's an expert on the origins of how surnames um, originated. Uh, His program dates back probably about a thousand years. A lot of us have not had surnames for many centuries, so um, any of the uh, information that he has uh, takes us back to how the names began and um, how they evolved into the ones that we have now. And Andrea, if residents of York Region want to get more involved in the Historical Society, how do they do that? They can go to um, our website at www.org rhhs.ca and all of our information is there for our meetings um, what we get up to as far as special events go we partner with an awful lot of the cultural organizations in the town and um, it will give you the location where we meet at Wallace Hall at the Richmond Hill um, Presbyterian Church on Young Street and uh, we have 10 meetings um, uh, a year and we also have special events and um, outreach as well 
Now, you mentioned membership and those 10 meetings a year. What does membership involve and what happens during those meetings? Um, for the for the dues that the membership pays, they um, are able to enter into the meetings for free. Um, they also have offered to them discounts from the authors that we have come to speak to the to us, um, the special events that they get involved with, and also um, it gives them an opportunity to see where there are other organizations for volunteering, especially for the town initiatives and the provincial ones. Um, we now have the Dunlop Observatory where people can volunteer and we have entered into an awful lot of the um, heritage sites so we can also um, volunteer there and uh, gain uh, new information and opportunities for the people who are interested in history. Can I ask how you got involved in the Richmond Hill Historical Society? I actually got interested in the Historical Society quite a long time ago, but through the uh, through being employed by the town at the Richmond Hill Heritage Centre, I came to know a lot of the members and got interested in, in being involved. Um, also, uh, the at that time, there were some things that were going on in the town that seemed to me like they needed a little bit of support. And once I, I uh, finished with the town, I was able to get involved with that. And um, I worked at Black Creek Pioneer Village for 10 years. So I have a, 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 a unique set of uh, experiences that help me to understand um, culture and heritage in the town. If our listeners, one more time, if they want more information about the speaker series on Monday with Tim Now and the history of surnames, or if they want more information about the Richmond Hill Historical Society, where can they go? Visitors can, uh, can go to www.rhhs.ca and all of our information is posted on the homepage. Terrific. Andrea, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Joining us next on the show is Rihanna Sumar from the Mosaic Interfaith Out of the Cold. Rihanna, welcome to The Feed. Yes, hi, Tina. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a bit about your organization first? Um, Mosaic Interfaith Out of the Cold is a registered charity. Uh, We operate in York Region, and we're the coordinating body for all of the the out-of-the-cold shelters in the York Region area. We partner with about uh, 16 interfaith communities, so it's, that's a unique part of Mosaic is uh, where we kind of partner with um, faith communities, uh, different ones, different ethnic communities. So it's really a mosaic of uh, communities that come together, and uh, our partner communities are the host communities for the Out of the Cold programs. So they provide us the space for the shelter and the volunteers, um, we have 1,200 volunteers in this program, um, and so Mosaic is actually the coordinating body, so we provide faith communities with a turnkey operation. Um, we do all of the logistical work and all of the funding and the PR, um, so the faith communities that are already doing a lot of work uh, for poverty relief really get the support that they need to operate the program. And how is the shelter funded? So we are 80% uh, funded by the Regional Municipality of York, and 20% of the funding we uh, need to raise on our own. Um, So we do a lot of kind of third-party events and uh, social media campaigns and things like that. We are very limited in our funding ability because we're a small organization with one staff person, which is myself. 
um, and largely volunteer-based. So we try to really partner with other organizations uh, and, and other community groups uh, to try and help us raise funds. And where is the shelter located? Our shelters are located throughout Southern York Region. Um, so we have shelters in Vaughan, Thornhill, Markham, and Richmond Hill. What do you say to those who believe that homelessness doesn't exist in 905? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's actually quite a problem. Uh, well, it's a problem throughout Canada, right? And um, your the suburbs have a unique problem because they're the the homelessness issue is different um, in the suburbs. Where in downtown Toronto, you can basically see people out on the streets, and you know the transit systems are a lot stronger. Um, so they can make their way from one place to another, and so they're more visible. Uh, in the suburbs and in your in New York region in particular, it's an invisible problem. So we do have a lot of homeless people. Uh, we, at our programs, we serve between 50 to, to 100 people a night. Um, and so the people are there. You just, you can't see them outside on the streets. And so there's this myth that uh, we don't have uh, homelessness in your region. But uh, we see it every day. Um, it's a challenging issue, a problem when it's when it's hidden, right? Because uh, you know you don't have numbers. We don't know really exactly how many people that are homeless at a particular time. Um, and if you can't find them, you can't outreach to them. It's very difficult to get them into the shelters and and moving forward in life. So the problem does exist, and uh, it's it's a hidden problem. Um, we try very hard to kind of uh, do our outreach and get to as many people as possible. Um, but we're also doing a lot of advocacy work because there is this myth uh, that especially in Richmond Hill and Vaughan and Markham where you see all these big homes uh, that everybody is comfortable and that's, that's just simply not the truth. If our listeners want to donate, how do they do that? Uh, they can donate to uh, Mosaic uh, online. So uh, our website is www.miotc.ca, um, and you can donate online. Or we also have information on there about how you can mail uh, a donation to us. Um, and they can call us as well at four one six nine four eight six six eight two. And do you collect for specific um, items as well? We do. So uh, we get a lot of clothing donations. So we get a lot of people asking if they can bring clothing, and and that's appreciated, but we don't actually need that much. Uh, We have clothing banks at all of the programs, Um, So, but we do get a lot of clothing. But the items that we're in need of particularly are underwear, long johns. Um, They do have to be brand new. And uh, we ask for gift cards as well, Tim Hortons cards. Um, And... That we do because uh, a lot of homeless people, that uh, when there's no shelters available, like during the days, um, they will go into a Tim Hortons or if they can't get to a shelter because of transportation issues. And when they're in a coffee shop, they often are not able to stay there. Uh, so we, we actually give out Tim Hortons cards as gift prizes when we do bingo games or, or just give them out when people need them. Well, obviously, many options for people to donate and to support. You have an event coming up uh, called the Coldest Night of the Year in Richmond Hill. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, we're very excited about it. It's going to be our uh, first annual uh, walkathon. The Coldest Night of the Year is done in partnership with an organization called Blue Sea Philanthropy. And uh, it's a national walkathon. Uh, it happens across uh, more than 135 cities across Canada. 
And uh, Blue Sea actually partners with charities um, that, you know, don't have the ability to necessarily manage their own walkathon, so they provide a lot of logistical support. So it's a perfect fit for us. Um, so we're going to be hosting the first ever Coldest Night of the Year in Richmond Hill on Saturday, February 23rd. Um, it uh, is going to be a 2K, 5K, or a 10K walk, and uh, it's going to be followed by food and entertainment. And we're excited because uh, a lot of people have shown a lot of energy and they're coming together. And it's going to be also a community gathering. We want to see it um, as an event that is just going to bring all the communities that are involved in Out of the Cold and other community groups that just want to get involved with helping with the homelessness issue. So um, it's going to be a fun event. And uh, the money raised are going to be critical because, uh, like I said, we're we have to raise 20% of our funds. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of our services that we provide are not funded by the government. Um, so, like we have a bus, for example, that transports people, a shuttle bus. Uh, we have a medical program as well with doctors and nurses on site. Um, all of these uh, support services are we, we need these uh, funds to sustain all of the services. For our listeners who want more information about uh, the walk on the 23rd or about your organization, where can they go? There's a great website that they can go to, and it's called cnoy.org, um, Coldest Night of the Year. And if they do a search uh, just for Coldest Night of the Year, they'll come across the, the website, and you can type in a location on there. So if you type in Richmond Hill, it'll pull up Mosaic Interface Out of the Cold sites. And uh, people can register to walk or they can join a team. We have a team uh, called Mosaic Family. So for individuals that just want to join a team, you can join any one of our teams. Um, and they can also sponsor uh, a walker as well. So, Lots of options. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Absolutely. Rihanna, thank you for joining us on the show and thank you for your good work. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us a chance to talk. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including the AIDS Committee of York Region. Joining us next is Marco Hernandez-Enriquez, the Program Manager of ACYR. Marco, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today, Tina. Can you tell us a little bit about your work at the AIDS Committee of York Region? Certainly. So my role at the AIDS Committee of York Region is as the Mental Health and My House Program Manager. And what exactly does that include? So the My House program is offered at the AIDS community of York Region. So what it includes is offering people that identify as two SLGBTQ plus members of the community and their allies. We offer them social, recreational, wellness, and learning spaces and opportunities for them to come together and participate. And how do they participate? What exactly is involved in some of those programs? So some of the program... Um, that are involved, uh, involve individuals um, anywhere from youth to seniors. The programs are completely peer-led and peer-directed, and currently we're offering rainbow room groups and facilitated rainbow circles for two SLGBTQ plus York Region residents and their allies aged 14 years old and over. Can you explain to our listeners what is a rainbow circle? So a rainbow youth circle is a staff-facilitated support group that allows youth to connect with peers and gain support during challenging times in their lives. It's also a fun social space for 2SLGBTQ plus youth to feel acceptance, 
to feel proud of who they are, to make new friends, and to share positive experiences with one another. Well, it sounds like a truly positive experience. Can you tell us a bit about your event that you have coming up for post-Valentine's Day, shall we say? Certainly. So it's called Love is Love, and it is happening next Sunday on February 24th. It starts at 3 p.m., and it goes till 6 p.m., and it's being held at the McConaughey Senior Center in Richmond Hill. So Love is Love is the first Valentine's Day social event for two SLGBTQ plus seniors and older adults aged 55 and over in the York region. We're hosting the event as part of the collaboration with CHATS, so that's Community and Home Assistance to Seniors, um, in which we have a United Way funded partnership with them. And we're hosting this event as part of our collaboration with them. Um, we have several community partners who are also supporting the event, including uh, Richmond Hill Council of Karen Silovitz, Richmond Hill United Church, York Regional Police, PFLAG York Region, York Pride Festival, and Family Services York Region. So to answer your question um, from earlier, uh, one of the primary purposes of the event is to create space where two SLGBTQ plus seniors and older adults can comfortably and safely celebrate Valentine's Day with their loved ones while also learning about some of the community supports available to them in the region. So at the event, uh, to give you a bit more information, we're going to have music, dance, food and fun, and also uh, karaoke. And it'll be a really good event for everybody to come to. Whoever's interested, um, you're all welcome. So where can our listeners get more information about this event and uh, if they want more information about ACYR? So you can follow us uh, on Facebook. So the... ACYR Facebook page is, uh, you can search for it as AIDS Community of York Region. The My House page is My House Rainbow Meeting Spaces. For tickets, uh, they're free of charge. And to RSVP, you can email us directly at myhouse at acyr.org or call us at 905-884-0613. And you can also visit our website at www.acyr.org. That's terrific. Thank you for joining us on the show, Marco. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for a replay. If the weather recently has you thinking about a vacation to the sunny south, don't forget about travel insurance. Christy Laverty with the story. So today we're joined by Janine White, VP of Marketplaces and Strategy at Kinetics.ca. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start off before we get to this these numbers because we're going to talk about a survey and you know talk about vacations, which we all love to talk about, but more specifically insurance. Um, So why don't you start off by telling us about Kinetics for anybody who doesn't know who you are and what you do. Um, Basically, the Kinetics team's goal is to make it easy to shop for insurance, understand insurance, and hopefully save some money on insurance at the same time. Which is great. And insurance can be a challenge for some people, and it's often the thing that they don't think about a lot. Um, But it really can come... It can be complicated, and it's sometimes not very interesting to people, and so it's really hard to get, you know, insurance knowledge out there in a really simple and easy-to-understand way. 
So today we're going to talk about a survey in relation to uh, vacations and insurance. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about these these numbers, because I would imagine that we have some people listening right now who, A, don't know anything about insurance in relation to going on vacation and maybe have never purchased trip insurance. Yes. Um, yes, and there's several different types of travel insurance when you're heading out on vacation, which I think is one of the things that makes it a little tougher to understand. Um, most people understand medical insurance, so just being covered for if you get sick when you're away. That's the most common type of travel insurance that's purchased. Um, but there's other types as well. You know, the one we did the survey on about cancellation insurance. So this is where you've, you've put a decent amount of money into your vacation, you've saved up for it, you've put all of the down payments on it, and they're non-refundable, but what happens when something stands in your way of leaving? The only insurance that covers you in that case is your trip cancellation insurance. Your medical travel insurance doesn't help you in that regard. Yeah, because when we're talking about vacations, they can be pricey. It isn't just the cost of your flight, but oftentimes, for example, if you're going to an all-inclusive or maybe a cruise, how does that work into it? Those kind of things covered under trip cancellation insurance? Yeah, so when we look at the average cost of trip that's put into our system, like a, a one person will typically spend about $3,000 on a vacation. And of course, that goes up if it's a couple, that's closer to 7000 And if you're getting into family four, you're looking at about $7,500 as the average outlay of cash for that vacation. Um, and so the trip cancellation specifically, you're looking for something that's going to cover you for the total amount of your trip, if that's what you've paid and is non-refundable. So you're looking for different levels of trip cancellation insurance, depending on how much you've spent on it. And so once again, you know, you think about it, if you're going on a really, um, a really expensive vacation, and maybe it's a long way out, that might be a trigger to say, hey, should I be looking at some trip cancellation insurance for that? It's a big investment. So do you want to protect it with insurance? Because the survey results, 65% of Canadians don't buy or know if they have trip cancellation insurance. That's a lot of people. Correct. It is a lot of people. And, you know, once again, I think sometimes they think about medical emergencies, but some people don't even understand that this coverage is available to them. So they they pay the money and they take the risk that nothing will impede them from going on that trip. But it's also a little, I think it's less expensive than people think. So for a $3,000 trip, you pay, you know, anywhere from $100 and up in general, I mean, there's lots of factors that go into it, but as a general average for covering the cost of the insurance for that trip. So if you look at it at about 3 to 5% of the outlay of what you're paying for your trip, it's actually, I think, a little bit more affordable than people think it is as well. Um, so that's, you know, that's important for people to understand. Do they want to pay a little bit of extra just to have that peace of mind that they won't get their money back if something happens? Yeah, because we've, I think probably everyone has heard a story from a friend or a relative where they've planned this big vacation and something happens, somebody gets sick or, you know, there's some mm -hmm. kind of a circumstance where they can't go and, you know, they've spent all this time, but money in yeah. planning this vacation and then they've got nowhere to go without something like insurance. And, and exactly. And once again, it comes back to that, 
that fact that people don't typically take a lot of time to figure out insurance. You know, admittedly, it's not the most interesting thing that they want to read about online. Um, but if you just if you just think about it, is that it is that risk you're taking, and if you just understand a couple of things about it, like you know, it's people think it's covered on their credit card. Sometimes yes, but often trip cancellation is not unless it's a very specialized travel insurance card. Travel medical is sometimes covered in your credit card, so people don't want to learn about it and they say, oh, I've got, I've got coverage from work or I've got coverage in my credit card. I'm sure I will be fine, but that's not always the case. And so you want to take, you want to take 10 or 15 minutes if you're putting that type of investment out there and understand if maybe your credit card or your, your work benefits cover it or what those limits are as well. Sometimes those limits are fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars on trip cancellation, which is great, you know, unless you've spent ten thousand dollars on your on your trip, and then it doesn't really cover a lot. So it's just about the knowledge. So maybe help us with a few steps of where people should start when they're thinking, okay, so I've got this vacation, we've done all this planning, you know, we've invested this money. Um, should I get insurance? Where do I go? What do I need to know? So maybe give us some sort of starting point tips for people. Online is obviously the easiest way to go. You've typically booked your vacation online these days. So just continue that journey. Um, what I would suggest is is maybe not always purchasing it from where you've purchased your vacation. You'll want to take that as a guide, but you'll want to use that price and you'll want to shop that around a bit because sometimes you'll find it much cheaper by doing a little bit of doing five or ten minutes work online and then it's three or four questions to answer where you can get, you know, a dozen more rates just to make sure that the convenience buy in the purchase path of purchasing your vacation is not twice as much as you should pay. Once again, that three to five percent of the total cost of your trip is a good guide. Um, and if you are not seeing something that inexpensive, um, then then keep your shopping going. So online is the easiest way to go, uh, just to learn about it, to get some quotes, and then get you know the high level information. And then when you go to purchase the policy. It's always a great idea to take a few minutes and ensure you're reading what's covered and what's not. Policies do differ, um, and policy wordings, while they're still not super simple, they're getting easier to understand. Take a few minutes when you get down to the policy level detail and ensure what you're covered for. Make sure you understand it. Now, and how soon from booking that trip should people get insurance? Is this something that sort of the, you know, we're booked, we've you know got payments in, the next step is insurance? The, the next step should be the insurance because how it works with trip cancellation specifically is that you have to buy it before the event that makes you need to cancel your trip occurs. So look at it this way. You book your, you book your trip today, and if something happens tomorrow that makes it preventable for you to go on that trip, you cannot purchase travel trip cancellation at that point. You have to purchase it before the event happens. Um, so you can't get away with, oh, that's happened, now I'll buy the trip insurance. So the longer you wait after you book the trip, the more risk you're taking that something's going to happen before you leave. So if you know you're going to buy it um, and you think it's a good decision to buy it, then we would always say book your trip and then buy your travel insurance right after. But it just has to be purchased before your departure, um, but it can't happen after the event that causes your trip to cancel happens. So that's where you want to make sure you're being careful. So this is something that people could look to kinetics.ca for when it uh, comes to... Uh, 
Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what we've tried to do is put a ton of rates and information online. It does take about maybe 20 seconds to get a dozen quotes on trip cancellation. So when you book your trip, we have tried to make that as easy as possible to go to our site. And we work with some of the some of the top carriers in Canada, and we do that for the reason of making sure we offer a good range of policies and prices depending on what the person needs. Um, so yeah, that would we would say that would be a great place to start. Awesome. Thank you so much, Janine White, VP of Marketplace and Strategy at Connects.ca. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much. And that was Janine White, VP of Marketplace and Strategies at Kinetics.ca. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Jim Lang steps up to the mound next for a preview of Blue Jays spring training. The boys of summer are gearing up as we speak. I know it's hard to tell by looking outside, but... Spring is counting down the days because we know that because the Blue Jays are getting ready for spring training with pitchers and catchers reporting and the whole team being going to be in camp in Dunedin, Florida next week. To talk more about it, always thrilled to talk Blue Jays with Ari Shapiro from AriShapiro.ca and his Twitter feed, Ari underscore Shapiro. Ari, how are you doing, my friend? Jim, it's a pleasure to speak with you having now slowly crawled out from underneath all the snow yesterday. Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually a good metaphor for the Blue Jays this year. Um, this is very different 2019 Blue Jays team than we've seen the last few years. John Gibbons is out. Charlie Montoyo is in. It's a new manager, and it seems like a new, I guess, overall mindset with the organization. What can we expect the biggest difference with the Blue Jays under the new guy, Charlie Montoyo? Well, you know, it's it's really interesting how many metaphors I could probably come up with, as you mentioned, about this this Blue Jays team, this this rebuild period that we're going through. You know, it, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day, amidst all the, the great hoopla and excitement and everything that's going on with basketball and hockey in the city, what a raw deal it must be for Charlie Montoyo to show up around these parts after everything that this franchise has had to go through in the past few years. I mean, I, I don't envy him the task. I welcome his involvement because I think it was universally agreed upon by both fans and management that the John Gibbons era was pretty much at an end. Although, Jim, truthfully, between you and I, I felt that maybe getting a kick at the can with a lineup of young kids might be exactly what John Gibbons was always kind of tailor-made for. You know, the, the notion that there's the steward at the helm who has the veteran savvy to know when to speak up, but otherwise let his players play. And I think we'll be seeing that with Charlie Montoyo. I think coming from the Tampa Bay system and all the great things that he did there and contributing to their reputation of being a team that regardless of payroll, right, regardless of punditry and prognostications floating all around them, the Rays always seem to bring a competitive team to the fold. And I think that's what fans will be looking for is can this new group of coaches – with the exception of Pete Walker, find a way to, to, to bring them that legitimacy and respect that the franchise has really lost as a result of back-to-back, ruthlessly shambolic years. So I think we'll see a renewed sense of prospect growth and development in front of our own eyes, which some people would argue is not exactly thrilling when you're paying major league prices to see minor league elements develop and blossom, but really that's the only alternative this franchise has at this stage in its history. Ari, you brought up a great point on Twitter the other day. You, you tweeted out there's like 100 free agents available. 
and Romo gets signed for two point five million, and the Blue Jays do nothing. So, what Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins? What is their big plan, a big picture plan for twenty nineteen? If they're so darn quiet with such affordable free agents available in baseball, that's such a trick question, Jim, and I, I'm, I find it something that's apropos to your show. You, you always ask the hard hitting, uh, multifaceted questions in an effort to get answers. I mean, if I had the answer to that. Needless to say, I might be running the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. What, 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 is, what are they thinking? What's lurking behind those corporate American eyes and ears that have shown, if anything, that someone like Mark Shapiro has the savvy to go out and build a team? I, I don't doubt that. I want, I want your listeners and anyone who follows me on Twitter to understand that although I can be ruthlessly critical of the Blue Jays for the way in which they handle themselves, my concern has more to do with how they portray themselves to the fans and the kind of culture they build because we can argue the value of personnel movement until the cows come home. We can talk about how we feel about certain prospects and whether it's realistic to expect that they're a slam dunk versus one that could be a fringe element. We've seen both Shapiro and Atkins appreciate the value of searching for reclamation projects. But at the end of the day, I think what this brass needs more is just patience from the fans. And unfortunately, it's a forced kind of patience. You'd like to see them be more active in the free agent market, but there is a creeping malaise right now in baseball when it comes to, A, teams that are declaring a level of non-competitiveness for 2019, and B, players who unfortunately are getting a raw deal because their preference is to wait and develop their own talent instead of going out and acquiring new free agents. And I think that's a real problem, not just for the Toronto Blue Jays and their fans, but for baseball in general. Speaking with Ari Shapiro from AriShapiro.ca and his Twitter feed, Ari underscore Shapiro. Before we get to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I, I, I keep looking at the depth chart and the starting pitching after Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, and I wonder, what is Charlie Montoyo going to do with his lineup card after his top two starters? Isn't it something, Jim? Oh. You're talking about you're talking about a year in which, in the past, if there's one thing this current brass has demonstrated leading the Toronto Blue Jays is that they've become very savvy in finding what I like to call retreads or reclamation projects. And and a great example of that obviously is going out and finding a Marco Estrada or being able to bring a Jay Hat here and basically tell the the fans, look, we found a substitute. You can't have Edwin Encarnacion anymore, but now we have Kendris Morales. At least in the past when that was done, Jim, these, these B options were legitimate major leaguers. The real fear for Blue Jays fans, when you look at the starting rotation, is that it's simply not enough to go out and acquire a, a shoemaker or a Richard and then be able to turn around and tell the fans, look, we have a lot of prospects, so let's just cross our fingers and hope this works out. In the end, it will hinge around and any kind of credibility, quite frankly, Jim, will hinge around the success of Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez being able to demonstrate that they are, in fact, bona fide major league pitchers. Because right now, the real challenge is that both of them are struggling mightily to get their careers pointed in the right direction. And this could be an absolute disaster if, if let alone one, but both players end up struggling to the point where the Blue Jays are headed to towards a 60 or 65 win season. I mean, fans are willing to accept the rebuild if they have a genuine hope for the future that is established by the club. 
And that means not only relying on the prospects and the young players that you bring in to try to audition to be successful, but it's got to be your young players in their mid-20s who are heading towards free agency. I mean, look, Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez know that if they don't have a good year, if they take another step backwards, it will seriously damage their own career prospects, let alone the future of this franchise. To that end, are the Blue Jays going to have to leave camp when they break for to start the season with a bigger bullpen than they probably thought they would because they might have to dip into that bullpen quite a bit the first couple months of the season. No doubt, no doubt. That's that's spot on. And you're talking about a club that has shown resiliency in that one area. I mean, if, there, if there's one thing about the last three, four years of Blue Jays baseball that the average fan can look at proudly, it's how management has handled finding resources for the bullpen. And even going into this year, the fact that Mark Shapiro was able to acquire a Ken Giles and a Paulino, for example, who can step in and show some value to the club amidst the the dumpster fire that ultimately was Roberto Osuna here in the city, it, it shows you that there is some resiliency there. Um, you and I both know that we can't really overstate bullpen resources because they're amorphous and the last thing that clubs these days actually focus on. My greater concern is making sure that all of these young, hot prospects that have vaulted the Blue Jays to a point of having a farm team worth talking about, worth writing home about, are able to take the steps to minimize the time it takes. You know, Shai Davidi from Sportsnet wrote the other day that the last thing the Blue Jays want to do is find themselves in rebuilding purgatory, and that's my great fear as well. It's a great thing to be told by management, hey, you've got a reason to come out and see us because we'll be better one day in the future. You know, tomorrow I'll be perfect, a la Dave Steve. But that perfection could take years and years in a league that clearly has two different standards for winning and losing. You know, as a, as a Jays fan who's realistic, I'm looking at it from a fan's perspective, Ari, and thinking they're not going to be that good this year. And they're in a rebuild. So why not have Vlad Guerrero Jr. up there? And at least I'll be interested to see how he develops. Will he start the season with the big club? Sadly, all indications point that he will not. And I think this will be a real challenge for Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins and the Blue Jays as an organization to find a way to keep a straight face while telling the fans that the reason they're their generational player isn't up and, and developing right from the get-go is the result of a CBA that ended up really, really damaging the, the player's hopes for sustainable income generation. I mean, when you can use a loophole to gain an extra year free agency by simply keeping down a player from the first three weeks of the season, look, I get it, it's business, but this is not an ordinary player. This is the player. This is the one player that you'll be building around, and as such, it creates a dilemma for the club. On one hand, why would you want to lose a year of valuable free agency with a young stud in his prime? On the other hand, that same stud has a Hall of Famer father who's already expressed a great deal of frustration with baseball and even filed a grievance at the the end of last year. To me, that's a political play. This is where Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have to be very, very careful because your fan base is already reeling and has has already demonstrated as of last year that they're not willing to go all in. If you don't build it, and they won't come. And I, and I think that that's the biggest problem with this current Blue Jays group is that in the past, it didn't matter what era you were from, whether it was J.P. Ricciardi, you know, or starting with Gord Ash or, or Anthopoulos, there was always a sense that the GM would go out and try to make moves to make the team worth watching today. Now that we have a front office that has decided, listen, we're closing up shop. We're not interested like two-thirds of the rest of the league in investing in available free agents, of which, Jim, there are many and many serviceable, effective ones that could be used to help you compete, that's going to be their biggest challenge is how to spin it and say, look, 
we could have this, this wonderful superstar player up today, but we're going to take advantage of certain CBA loopholes that could be the reason why, they'll, why there will ultimately be a work stoppage in a couple of years. I mean, not just the Blue Jays, but big picture in Major League Baseball as a whole, Ari. I, I look at all the free agents, not just Bryce Harper and Dallas Keuchel and guys like that, but like close to 100 free agents sitting out there. On a business model, everyone's trying to tell us how good baseball is, how well they're doing, digital money, uh, TV ratings. Why are all these free agents sitting there unsigned with camp starting? I think we have two two real challenges to look at. One, which is what sabermetrics and an analytical evaluation of a player's value is relative to dollars. That's the first problem. I think if you look at a lot of these free agents, these triple-digit free agents that are out there, a lot of them just aren't very good. And their numbers indicate it. Like, why would you spend millions of dollars on a player who has a negative win-above-replacement ratio? That tells you that you're basically hiring an employee that you know will spend a lot of time by the water cooler and drinking a lot of coffee and taking days off. That's the equivalent of what it means to go out and get, you know, an employee that can ultimately get the job done. So you've got the actual nature of baseball sabermetrics, which have contributed to it. And the second issue is the way that baseball controls its young players and the fact that when you develop an asset and you have control over it, you really are in the driver's seat if you're the team. I mean, you look at someone like a Sanchez and a Stroman as an example. I mean, they've taken two unique paths of how they ultimately got to the, to the big leagues and who represents them, especially in the case of Stroman, who does most of the representation himself. And as a result, I think it's hurt the relationship between the emerging player and the team because there are always contentious issues over money. Teams don't want to spend more money than they have to. And in the case of the Blue Jays, when you have an ownership group that's basically decided, look, we're not going to just simply spend money in a year where we feel we can't win, that's a real dilemma for you because you've got, like you said, all these available free agents, and some of them are really great and effective. Who wouldn't want to see an Adam Jones or a Mike Moustakis or even – God forbid, a, a chance to go after a Bryce Hopper or Manny Machado. The very fact that the Blue Jays have been literally sitting on their hands has created a real dilemma and a conflict in the way fans want to love and enjoy this team in the years to follow. And it'll be up to them to navigate those waters very delicately because when you lose a baseball fan in a heavy hockey and basketball market, you might just risk never getting them back. Real quick to wrap up, Ari, where, where does Bryce Harper end up? What a great question. And, and I'm really amazed, Jim, that He's still not signed, although exactly. maybe part of me, after, after turning down, I'm, let's, let's play a game here where you and I imagine turning down a 10-year contract worth $300 million. I mean, only Bryce Harper knows what's going on in that crazy mind of his. I think that both Machado and Harper's camps have to be absolutely uh, gobsmacked at the lack of traction, but not surprised at all. Again, when you've got all these free agents sitting on the sidelines, when you've got two-thirds of your league saying we're not going to compete this year and we're just going to work on our own assets and resources. It doesn't surprise me that you would have two big free agents like this on the sidelines. But when you consider what kind of generational players both men are in their mid-20s, it is an absolute shock to the system to see that they haven't either tried going back to their incumbent teams or finding a new suitor. I have no doubt that the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Phillies are interested in Bryce Harper. What's fascinating is to see which one of them will blink first and give him an offer that is so reasonable to him that it might crack the egg and start getting other teams on board. Because, listen, adding a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado to your lineup turns you into a much better baseball club. But 
when you're dealing with two flawed characters and personalities, the depth and gravity of those two players, you can also understand why teams are very concerned about making a 10-year commitment to someone that could be the wrong factor that they need in their clubhouse. That's why he's so good. He's Ari Shapiro from AriShapiro.ca. And you follow him on Twitter at Ari underscore Shapiro. Ari, do you always love your insight talking baseball, talking Blue Jays. So I really enjoyed this. A pleasure, my friend. Let's do it again soon, Jim. Have an excellent day, and thanks for having me on your show. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.